Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about your 2020 election ballot, including the exact details of a recreational marijuana ballot measure, which we have been anticipating. We'll break down those exact details. What does the ballot initiative include and how could it affect you if it passes? So this is not the first time the gaggle has taken a look at recreational marijuana. In a previous gaggle episode, we talked to reporter Ryan Randazzo about why Arizona is likely to legalize marijuana in 2020. We also talked to Ryan about which state political figures are changing their messaging on marijuana and why. If you want to dive in on that background, we suggest listening to the June 25th episode. Now, here we are, two months later, We have a 16-page proposal to legalize marijuana with a ton of new information in it. This is a big development. The details finally came out in August. Now we know what the ballot initiative says in terms of potency, how people could buy it, and what it means in terms of revenue. Let's dive in. Here to talk about that with us is Ryan Randazzo. He is a business, political, marijuana reporter, and he got his hands on the ballot initiative first. Thanks for having me. So broadly speaking, what does this 16-page initiative say? What exactly would people be able to purchase if this were to become law? Well, there's a limit on what you could buy, but it's a lot. Uh, Adults 21 and older would be able to possess an ounce of marijuana, which, if my math is correct, is about 56 joints. Um, And you could have more than five grams of concentrated marijuana, which uh, likewise is quite a bit of concentrate. Okay, so it's interesting that the limits seem, forgive me, I'm going to do this, high. (laughs) What do those limits say to you? Well, uh, overall, um, I think the people that wrote this really were trying to address critics um, because, yes, that's, that, that sounds like a large amount, but, um, you know, there are critics on both sides of the aisle here, right and left, and some of the more liberal critics would say that that um, is too little and that you shouldn't put that kind of uh, restriction on the drug. Um, in another sort of attempt to uh, limit criticism, they're limiting the number of licenses to take away the idea that this would proliferate across the state. And so it pretty much would only be sold where you already have medical marijuana dispensaries in the state. Uh, there's some folks who are never going to be won over by this, um, but there's other stakeholders like city governments um, who more or less just want to maintain their ability to keep this industry in check. And some of the things in this initiative are aimed at uh, keeping those potential critics at bay. And what about potency? That's been a bone of contention in the last race in 2016 when there was an attempt to legalize recreational pot. So this initiative says that the state shall create rules regarding potency of edible products. That has been a concern of critics. Um, But there's a caveat. The DHS, Department of Health Services, can really only set a maximum potency. The initiative says that DHS cannot require the potency to be less than 10 milligrams per dose. 
So 10 milligrams is a basic serving size. Today, medical dispensaries sell candies that include as little as two and a half milligrams and all the way up to 50 milligrams or more. Uh, but 10 milligrams seems to be a common serving size for many things like gummy candies. So why is a detail like that in a proposal like this? It's definitely another concession to opponents of legalization, and it has to do with protecting kids who might inadvertently eat candies infused with marijuana. Um, my impression, though, is that I'm, I'm not sure I know a kid who finds a container of gummies and eats only one. So it seems bizarre to me to, to limit the potency of just those edible products because if a kid finds a bag of gummies, they might eat them all, and the, the potency would be sort of irrelevant if they really overconsume them anyways. You can say that again. My kid, middle kid, is always eating up his um, half the bottle of the vitamins whenever he sees them, and it just kills me. But he always turns out okay. So you've mentioned that this is different than the 2016 initiative that kind of narrowly failed. But what are some of the biggest differences and concessions that we might be able to, to see in this, this go-around? So the biggest one is that under this proposal, people who have been convicted of crimes could get their record expunged, but only if their crime falls under the legal limits of this act. So now that could be really hard um, to, to enact for a few reasons. That's because Arizona law is pretty much the same for people caught in possession of a half ounce or more. And so their arrest record would need to clearly show the exact amount um, that they were caught with in order for them to get that record expunged um, and for them to prove it was less than an ounce, which will be legal if, if this passes. Um, we're not sure how many people this could apply to. And um, depending on someone's criminal record, it might not be worthwhile. So if a marijuana possession is the most serious thing they've ever been convicted of, they probably would want to get that erased in order to you know, get a job. If possession of marijuana is the least serious thing on their criminal record and they've got like armed robberies and stuff on there, it probably doesn't make a big difference. I doubt they're really going to go forward and, and seek expungement of that record. So have other states done something similar like this? Yes. Illinois did something similar in the bill that their governor signed earlier this summer. Um, it's estimated that almost 800,000 people uh, in Illinois could have their records expunged through that. And this whole idea of sort of justice for folks who have been um, punished for something that now is going to be legal recreationally is really catching on uh, in other recreational markets or places where people are looking at recreational marijuana. How is this being received by prosecutors? Uh, Bill Montgomery, Maricopa County prosecutor, and um, Sheila Polk of Yavapai County were two leading opponents of the 16 measure. Do you have a sense of how they're feeling about this provision specifically? I mean, my impression is that those folks fall into the category of never supporting this under any circumstances. I mean, they may have um, suggestions for ways to improve it, but they really don't see any benefit in even signaling to people that marijuana is safe to use in any context, let alone a, a recreational uh, context. So under this language, would people still be allowed to grow plants? They would. This is another uh, area that's extremely popular with um, proponents of legalization and a, a place where the people who wrote this are trying to reach a balance point. So under this um, proposition, each adult could grow six plants. But if they had two roommates, you can have a maximum of 12 plants for home. So you can't have more than that, regardless of how many adults are in the house. 
Um, right now in Arizona, very pe- very few people grow marijuana plants legally anyhow um, because you need to be outside of a certain radius of an existing uh, medical marijuana facility. So really there's almost nowhere in like the metro Phoenix area where you'd be allowed to do that because you're always within that uh, certain distance of a, of a licensed dispensary. So this would really open up the home growing market to a lot more people across the state. But again, it, with a limit of six plants, and some proponents of this really don't like that restriction. So speaking of restrictions, does this uh, proposal speak at all to how people can purchase marijuana? Uh, do you need cash, or can you use a credit card or a debit card? It really leaves a lot up to DHS, um, but you're probably still going to need cash because marijuana is still illegal at the federal level, and that keeps out most banks and major credit cards. There have been some dispensaries that accepted credit cards. Um, it's not exactly clear how they've done that and what they listed their business as. Um, and there's also some digital currency solutions for, for the medical marijuana industry that might be applied to the recreational industry, but probably it's going to be a cash-based business. And it's not clear in this initiative how DHS would track the sales. Um, because you're only you would only be allowed to possess one ounce, it's likely that's what they would limit their sales to. But it doesn't lay out, how, you know, would a dispensary need to track that so that people couldn't bounce around and go to, say, five dispensaries in a day and end up with five ounces in their possession? So is it clear then at this point, and I know that it's early because we, we just got the language, but is it clear as to whether or not the government or DHS or people outside of the people who are actually buying the marijuana would keep a record or a log of the people who are buying marijuana? No, it's unclear to me reading through this how, you know, or whether the state would be allowed to track that or would have an interest in it. It it appears that they sort of put the responsibility on the consumer that you're only allowed to possess an ounce. And if you get caught with more than an ounce, then you're violating the law. It doesn't seem to put the restriction on the on the dispensary. So you might still have people who are wanting to buy on Craigslist. I know that might seem so quaint these days, but Craigslist or through friends or other means. Does this address the the black market, the people who still want to buy it illegally? Well, the proponents say that they try to address the black market by balancing the tax rate. Um, They say that if you put the taxes on marijuana too high, then people are going to continue to purchase the drug illegally outside of licensed dispensaries because they save money by doing that. Um, So they set the tax rate on this uh, at the regular sales tax rate of any retail good plus 16% with an excise tax on top of it. They say that that's the sweet spot that will still bring in revenue, a new revenue stream through this industry, but it won't be such a high tax rate that uh, it will create an incentive for people to to go to the black market. So you've talked a lot about the potential consumers and also the the people who would be distributing this, what kind of revenue would this have for those who are considering it on those terms? Well, um, it's difficult to predict uh, because this is a new industry. And so in the states that have launched recreational marijuana, they've been kind of wildly off base with their uh, tax projections. They definitely are collecting um, new tax streams. Um, It's just not uh, clear, you know, before this is enacted, how much would come in. But the proponents are estimating about $300 million a year just from uh, the recreational sales. 
That's a lot of money. Is that in addition to revenue from medical sales or will some of the revenue from recreational sales kind of cut down on revenue from the medical side? They're anticipating that some of that medical market is going to shift into the recreational market. Um, if for no other reason than to, to purchase medical marijuana in the state, you need to pay a fee to the state now. Um, and you would not have to do that to buy recreational marijuana. But if it turns out that the state puts some really strict uh, regulations on potency for recreational uh, products, but uh, medical products don't have that same restriction, there, there definitely could still be people that participate in the, in the medical market to get the, the marijuana products that they want. How does this speak to uh, things like driving under the influence or impairment and, and such, if at all? So it states in, in the initiative that driving, flying, or boating under the influence is still illegal. Uh, right now, there is not a good way to test whether someone is under the influence. Uh, marijuana metabolites can stay in a person's body for weeks. But the proposal says that if a better test is developed, that it is legal for law enforcement to use that test. It also says that companies can still test for drug usage as a contingency for employment. So even if you are using the drug legally, you could still be denied employment. So what happens next with this whole thing? So the legislative staff um, is going to get an opportunity to review the language, and um, we'll see if they have any suggestions for their proponents before they start hitting the streets and trying to get the more than 200,000 valid signatures that they need by July 2020. If uh, they get those signature requirements, then it'll be on the ballot next fall. So we are also operating under a potential scenario where this isn't necessarily the language that ends up on the ballot, right? Sure. It could be tweaked. If the legislative staff finds something that really would present a major hurdle or legal challenge to this, they could change the language before they start getting those signatures. But they can't get signatures for one um, you know, ballot measure and then change it and, and still use those uh, signatures. And the state legislature could do their own thing. Yes. Um, I'm actually pretty excited to see if they choose to take this up when they reconvene in January. Um, they've been extremely hesitant to do that, all, e even though there are some proponents among the 90 lawmakers to head this off. Um, if it passes at the ballot, the legislature cannot do anything to it um, legally that doesn't further its purpose. But if state lawmakers decide to pass their own measure, they could head this off and they could tweak it uh, over time if they need to make changes. So theoretically, we could end up in a scenario where we have multiple initiatives on the ballot to legalize marijuana. That's one uh, potential outcome. So lawmakers could forward a referendum, which would probably serve to confuse voters and, and wind up with both of those failing. But that might be the intent if lawmakers just want to stop this for another two years. Uh, they could also just pass their own law um, that maybe has quite a few more restrictions than what's being proposed here by the dispensaries, but would sort of disincentivize people from showing up at the polls. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts, breaking this thing down on the politics and policy side of this. The 2016 initiative was super close because advocacy groups were very splintered. You had Governor Doug Ducey raising a ton of money to keep the no unlegalization message out in front. 
Uh, this effort could see similar levels of opposition, or it could see some support uh, in a level that we haven't seen before. What's the likelihood, Ryan, that this thing passes? Well, it's got the same challenges as the last uh, initiative. Um, and this one is being uh, bought and paid for by the medical marijuana industry. And there are plenty of people who prefer a more open market um, and uh, would like to see more complete deregulation. Within a couple of hours of us posting our story detailing what's in this initiative, the, the feedback I was getting was from people who support uh, legalization, but do, they do not support this because it doesn't go far enough for their taste. So that's um, sort of that splintering of groups that you had referenced. The nation as a whole seems to be drifting toward pro-legalization, and voters are certainly acting that way at the polls. Are there people who are going to campaign against this at this point? For sure. Um, there will be a no campaign. You've got folks like Sheila Polk from Yavapai County uh, who are very much opposed to legalization. I think the big question is how much money are they going to get? The Chambers of Commerce uh, are not supportive of this for a variety of reasons, but um, we'll see how much money they actually raise and, and put towards fighting this. Um, and again, I'm excited to see if the legislature gets involved and sort of changes the landscape um, and sort of just draws away some of the interest from this initiative. Yeah, and it, it strikes me that there's more than just interest on this that as what's at stake. It, it's hard for me to believe that they would just sit by and give young people in particular great incentive to go out and vote in, in significant numbers in 2020. The risk of having those young voters who are very interested in marijuana drifting in and possibly voting for a Democrat, for example, for either the Senate or for the presidency just seems like a, a greater risk than... I think a lot of conservatives would be willing to accept, especially given the dynamics of where people, public opinion seems to be heading on this. Um, why, if it's going to pass anyway, why give people a chance to vote on this and, and you can't fix it if it does pass by voters? Well, that's, that's all true. I just don't know that conservatives who are opposed to legalization are that united and in that much of an agreement. So there's folks at the legislature who probably believe exactly what you just said, but there's others who are just hesitant to put anything forward that uh, would make it look like they were um, enabling this uh, drug industry. So I, I think they're a little too fractured to come together in agreement and, and actually pass something. But again, that's, I think, going to be interesting when they're looking at this um, very likely getting on the ballot because it's going to be well-funded and also very likely passing considering how close it was last time. How do you think both sides will play or message around this notion of all this money coming in from taxes on the sale of marijuana and how beneficial it might be for state coffers? Yeah, you know, this does uh, direct where the taxes will go, and that's something I found inter interesting in it um, because the taxes mostly go to public safety and community colleges um, and job training. So K-12 education has sort of been the hot topic funding-wise in the state. Um, you know, that brought us the Red for Ed movement, and personally I predicted that the marijuana proponents were going to direct their money in that direction, and they didn't. And they said they didn't do that because they don't, know that it's going to bring in enough cash to make a difference in the K-12 funding situation. And so they strategically wanted to direct the money to community colleges because they thought that the $300 million that will come in would be enough to make a significant difference in, in that area. 
But uh, again, immediately I started hearing detractors saying this should go to K-12. That's what we've you know, seen people marching in the streets for. So that um, is going to be interesting as the tax discussion uh, progresses and, and critics wonder aloud why the money isn't isn't going to the younger students. And that sounds like a lot of money, but in context, the state budget is what, $9 billion? Yeah, it's just a little higher than that at about $11 billion. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, listeners, be sure to follow his reporting by going to azcentral.com and clicking local. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Utility Reporter. That's it for today, Goggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Katie O'Connell and Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.